Knowing I Am. That's the title for the sermon series during Advent, beginning today and continuing through the first Sunday in January. Do you know who you are? Not possible unless you know I am. Join us as we learn who he is. this series on the I Am Sayings of Jesus for our Advent and Christmas focus today as we look at John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already, You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, if we would know you in the way that you choose for us to know you, we must know you through Jesus and through Jesus alone. And if we would know Jesus, we must know Jesus through the witness of your spirit to Jesus, 
And if we would know your spirit's witness to Jesus, we must know your word. For you have chosen to reveal yourself and who you are in Jesus by your spirit. And your spirit speaks to us about who Jesus is clearly and completely. And not completely in the sense of by reading and studying and reflecting on your word, we know everything there is to know about Jesus. You say to us in your word that if every book that was ever written and expansively written from those books we would learn about Jesus, we would still not know all there is to know. So you have chosen in the 66 books of the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, to raise up those men who would write your word under the power of the anointing of your Holy Spirit so that we would know everything we know or everything we need to know about who Jesus is and what it means for us to know him and to love him and to serve him. And we want to do that more fully and more faithfully in this new year. So help us to hear today what it means when Jesus says to us, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. I am the vine and you are the branches. And every branch that abides in me will produce much fruit. Teach us, O oh God, this day by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One commentator has noted that this, uh, this chapter, chapter 15 of John, begins the final teaching segment of Jesus teaching his disciples in the Gospel of John. And we looked last week at chapter 14 where Jesus is teaching his disciples as they're gathered together at the feast of the Passover. And during that feast, he institutes what we know as the Lord's Supper. And in the midst of that festival of the Passover, Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then when he gets to the end of John chapter 14, look at what happens. John chapter 14, verse 31. Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. We would simply say, get up. It's time to leave. And Jesus is headed toward the moment of his ultimate glorification. He is about to encounter the reason for which he came. It's not that he is thinking here about the resurrection. 
It is not that he's thinking here about his ascension into heaven. What Jesus is focusing on here is his crucifixion. Jesus came to die. But Jesus came to die for a specific reason, a specific purpose, a specific people. Jesus came to die to redeem his people from their sins. And that moment in which Jesus is going ultimately to bring glory to God is drawing near. Get up, Jesus says. It's time to go. And he is going to the cross, and he's going to the cross, and as he's walking along with his disciples, he's teaching them one more thing about who he is and who we are when we are in a right relationship to him. Now, it is no accident that the I am saying in John 14 and the I am saying in John 15 are intimately intertwined. They are closely connected. It is Jesus communicating the same truth in different images. Now, we learned last week from John chapter 14 that the way the truth is communicated in John 14 is through three questions asked by three disciples. And each of those questions asked by the disciples is asked out of doubt. But Jesus uses their questions to teach them truth about who he is as the way, the truth, and the life. What Jesus communicates in John chapter 14 is that if you're going to know who I am as the way and the truth and the life, you must know me. You must know who I am and why I came. Thomas said to him, John chapter 14, verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus' answer is the I am saying in chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not only must you know who I am as Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord of all, you must know who my Father is. Philip said to him, John 14, verse number 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus says, the way to know the Father is to know me. If you don't know who I am and why I came, you will never know who God is. You must know who I am, you must know who the Father is, and thirdly, you must know who the Holy Spirit is. So when Judas said to him, John 14, 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest or reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus did not come to reveal himself to the world, but to make himself known to his people. And the way he does that is through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is placed in the heart and life and mind and soul of every believer. And the Holy Spirit is there to teach us everything we need to know about who Jesus is because if we know who Jesus is and we can know who Jesus is because the Holy Spirit is given to teach us who Jesus is, we can know who God is. Get up. It's time to go. 
And like every rabbi in his day, as Jesus was walking along, headed toward his encounter with the cross, he's teaching his disciples. And he's teaching them about who the Father is, about who he is, and about who we are when the Holy Spirit lives in us. Who is the Father? John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, the word true here means real, means genuine. Now, when you, when you say that something is genuine, you are inferring, aren't you, that there are things that look like it and things that by every outward appearance, they appear to be something similar to that thing. I'm one of, Ann and I are one of the residents of Berkeley that uh, got hit the other night in the burglary, burglary and uh, uh, Ann asked me almost three or four times a week, did you lock your truck? Did you lock your truck? You have my permission to ask me seven times a week now because I didn't lock my truck. And besides not locking my truck, I didn't take my wallet out of my truck. Yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> so they got my wallet. Now I'm a preacher, so there wasn't a whole lot of money in the wallet. But there were a lot of other things. And I did a report yesterday afternoon with the sheriff's department and the guy said, what kind of wallet did you have? Was it a leather wallet? And I said, well, <laughs> it was gem- imitation. It was, it looked like a wet leather wallet and it was nice, but it was cheap. When you hear, I am the true vine, what Jesus is saying, I am the genuine vine, and there are other vines out there, there are other false preachers out there, there are other gospels out there, but they're not true. And you be alert to those. I don't know how many of you really believe this, but there are more false preachers and false gospels in the United States of America right now than at any time since I have been a child of God. And they are drawing in people by the thousands. They're the pew packers and the church fillers. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Now the context here historically, biblically, and theologically is Israel. That's why we read Isaiah 5 this morning. And it's why I wrote a reflection in the bulletin that I hope you'll read about Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80. And in Psalm 80, when you read Psalm 80 and when you read Isaiah 5, you read that Israel was intended by God, designed to be God, by God to be his fruit-producing people, and they failed. And when they failed, God pointed beyond Israel to the one that was to come, God in the flesh, Jesus the Christ, the Lord over all who would fulfill in himself all the promises of God that God made to Israel. That's why Matt Carter says, and he's absolutely right in saying it, the way to God does not pass through Israel because Israel failed. The way to God passes only through Jesus. 
Because God's promises to Israel that fail found their fullness and their fulfillment in Jesus. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So here's the question. What does a vine dresser do? A vine dresser pays attention to the vine. But you know what he pays more attention to? He pays more attention to the soil. Why would he pay attention to the soil? Because if you don't have good soil, what happens to the vine? And no matter how much you prune it, no matter how much you water it, no matter how much you pay attention to it, no matter how much you walk around it and look at it, unless you've got good soil, you can't have a good vine. The vine dresser's job was to pay attention to the vine so that the vine would produce branches that would produce fruit. And he began and spent most of his attention looking at the soil, digging around it, cultivating it, removing the weeds, making sure it had the proper kinds of ingredients in the soil. Remember Jesus said when he was teaching his people and us that the gospel is like a seed and the gospel is sown all over the world. It is spoken to all kinds of people and yet there are soil types, right, that do not produce fruit. And there are some soil types even that appear to produce fruit, right? There are people who say they believe the gospel, they receive the gospel, they're saved by the gospel, and they burn like fire for months or years even. And then there's nothing but smoke, and then the smoke is gone because there was no fruit. God tends the soil. He pays attention to the soil because he knows that there are those who exhibit external evidence that they belong to God with no internal transformation to give any real evidence at all that they belong to God. That's why Jesus says, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. There's a play on words here in the Greek language that we cannot capture. It's a deliberately designed play on words. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This word in the original language is used many, many times in the New Testament. And in the overwhelming majority of them, it means to remove. They're taken away from the vine. They're thrown onto the trash heap. They are torched. Verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This is a symbol of God's final ultimate judgment for those who appear to be believers by external profession and some external actions who are not producing any fruit and will face the final judgment of God. Every branch in me that does not Bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. The word here means he cleanses. He, he takes care of that branch. He washes that branch. He watches over that branch. It's affixed to the vine, and the vine pours life into the branch. And from the branch, there are leaves that appear, and then fruit that appear. And Jesus says to his disciples, you are clean because 
of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. The true branch abides in the vine because the vine dresser has nurtured the soil and the soil is good soil and out of the soil of God's design and God's desire comes this vine and this vine produces these branches and because of the power that has come from the soil by God's desire and design and courses through the vine and into the branches, those branches produce fruit. The branch must abide in the vine in order to produce fruit. No fruit, no faith, no evidence, no transformation. As the branch, Jesus says, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you unless you abide in me. Look with me carefully at verse 4. Abide, that's an imperative. Abide in me, it's a command. If you belong to God through Jesus, you will abide in Jesus, and Jesus will abide in you. Jesus lives in you. You live in and through Jesus. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides, that is an ongoing condition. The branch abides in the vine. The branch finds its life in the vine, and from the vine, when the vine When the branch is connected to the vine, the branch produces fruit. When the branch just appears to be connected to the vine, it produces no fruit. We must abide in Jesus. Abiding is continual. We continue to abide in Jesus. That's why external actions are so dangerous. That's why there can be people that make a public profession of faith in Jesus. And listen, my friend, when God is calling you to himself, he's convicting you of your sin. You are compelled to make a public profession of faith in Jesus. You want everybody to know that you belong to Jesus. But do you understand that someone can participate in the external action with no internal change? Do we get that? That a person could be baptized in water and never have been or never be baptized in the Spirit. That a person can be a part of a church and be active in a church and never know truly the Lord of the church. It's continual. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 where... John, who uses this word abide as one of his most important terms. Listen to what John says in first John chapter two, verse five and verse six. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. We are to 
We are to follow him and to seek to be faithful to him. That's what it means to abide. Warren Wiersbe says the better we know Jesus, and you can't know Jesus without knowing the word of God, so you've got to read and study to know God. You've got to have a Bible, read a Bible, study the Bible, dig into the Bible, because it's the doctrine of the Bible that grows us in intimacy with Jesus. I want to tell you something. As a preacher, I get really confused when people say to me, I'm not into doctrine or theology. I just want to experience God. Well, how do you experience God without knowing God? It's impossible. You've got to know the word of God in order to experience the great power of God. Because not only is this fruit producing, this abiding, not only is it continual, it's connectional. It's the evidence that the branch is connected to the vine and it's fruitful. I read this week a quote from Matt Carter that, that uh, stung me. There are, by the way, there are many days during this series of preparing for teaching on the I Am Sayings of Jesus. Can I be honest with you? I wished I'd have never, ever attempted this series. Because it has been so deeply convicting. So deeply convicting. And I I think most of us like our Christianity to be comfortable. (laughs) We want it to fit like a glove. We want it to be like a warm fireplace. And these I am sayings have been... So convicting. They've called me out and caught me up short. I like this quote. Matt Carter, I quote. True disciples bear fruit. No fruit, no disciple. If Jesus has taken up residence inside of you, you will be different. You will act differently. You will love differently. You will live differently. The difference is not due to your strength, your effort, or your zeal. The difference is due to the persistent work of Jesus in you. Jesus is alive. He's powerful. He's actively at work in those who belong to him. An apple tree bears apple, a peach tree bears peaches, and a follower of Jesus loves, prays, and obeys Jesus, end quote. Jesus says, I am the vine And my father is the vine dresser. He prepares the soil so that when the seed is placed in the soil, it produces this luscious vine, and this vine produces these branches, and the branches produce fruit. Do you know what you're saying when you say about someone, I know they're Christians because they profess faith in Jesus and were baptized and joined the church, but they're not in the church anymore and they're not producing fruit. Do you know what you're saying? You're saying that your God fails. Our God never fails. And he prepares that soil so that the vine produces these branches that incessantly and continually and increasingly produce fruit. Jesus says, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and 
burned. Now look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my, my what? My words. How do I know that I'm abiding in Jesus? Because the word of God is abiding in me and the word of God is abiding in me increasingly. It's that which gives meaning to my life. It is that which shapes my life. It is that which sustains my life. It is that which comforts me in the midst of difficulty, convicts me in the midst of sin, calls me in faithful witness to Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish. You see, we like that part, don't we? But if you're not abiding in the word of God, if you're not drinking in at the fountain of God's word, if you're not feasting at the table that is set by the word of God, I hope all of you sometime the last week of December decided on your Bible reading plan for 2021. Where you have some way as a believer that you know every day of this year you're going to be in the word of God. Every day. What is yours? It's one of the marks of a believer that we love God's word and we long for God's word and we delight in God's word and we fail and fall down, but we go on. We are immature at times and our feelings get the best of us and temptations overwhelm us, but we grow up and we, along the way, give ourselves the grace of God that is given to us and our failures and our flaws, but we love God's Word and it's God's Word that feeds us and strengthens us and nourishes us. If my words abide in you. By this, look at verse 8, by this, by what? If you abide in God, God's word abides in you. And when God's word abides in you, your father is glorified. And the result will be that you bear much fruit and you prove, you prove that you are his disciples because you delight in dining on the word of God. You want your life to give glory to God, so you give yourself to the Word of God, and it's the Word of God, knowing God's Word, gaining wisdom from God's Word, that enables you to grow in your love for God. As the Father, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you, verse 10, if you keep my commandments. Where are you going to know what God commands? Where are you going to get that from? Osmosis is just going to appear? No. You've got to read and study and taste and delight in God's Word. That's why we are uh, beginning January 13th. We're having these Bible studies on Wednesday night. Uh, Steve and Glenn are leading this wonderful Bible study on the church. David Powell's leading a Bible study on the Gospel of John. Anne's going to start her women's Bible study uh, in the month of, uh, end of February. In the month of February, meeting on Tuesday night, we're going to keep protocols. We're going to, I'm not, I'm not praying for any of these Bible studies. God send us 200 people. We don't have space to put 200 people. We're going to limit the numbers so we can social distance and maintain protocol and all of those things. But we're not going to stop feasting on the word of God. 
why we're going to have Sunday school, and why we're going to have Sunday nights, why we're going to have Awana, it's why we're going to do all these things. We don't want to be stupid or dumb or unwise or any of those things, but we know how much we need in these days God's Word, more than ever. It's how we know what He desires from us. We can't love Him. We cannot love him. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. If it's good enough, (laughs) if it's good enough for Jesus to know the father through the word, then I would say it's good enough for us. I think there are many people in churches and many churches where what I just said would seem strange. There are many churches where you can go to worship on Sunday morning and see lots of people gathered for worship with no Bibles in their hands. Oh, I know my age. I don't look for phones. I know many of you read your Bibles on your phones. Great. Praise God. You got the phone on your Bible. I'm I'm good with that. But There are lots of people that go to worship on Sunday morning where the center is the Word of God. And I've been in churches like this, not here, but I've been in churches like this where I look out of the congregation and it's rare to see anybody with a Bible. That tells you more about that church than you want to know, about who they are and where they are and what they're about. 1942, this is another one of those things that I read during preparation for this series. (laughs) That kind of stunned me. 1942, one of the most brilliant commentators on the Gospel of John, R.H.C. Linsky, published his commentary in 1982, uh, 1942, I'm sorry. And he spoke about what he saw in 1942 in the church in America. And he said, he said in 1942, America is becoming Get this, infested with people who believe they're believers through what they've done externally to say they're believers, 1942. And he said, this is what happens to people like this. He gave three three indicators of people who are externally confessed Jesus but are not really committed to Jesus. Listen to what he wrote. Number one, they grow over time to have no desire to be a part of the church, and particularly a church that preaches the Word of God and observes faithfully the Lord's Supper. What they want is self-help sermons that will maximize focus on themselves, that will help them practically in their daily struggles, but they want the Word of God to be minimized. So they start flitting from church to church, never finding what they think will satisfy them all the while, blaming preachers and churches for not being what they should be. Secondly, people like this begin to separate Christians into two groups. That is, those people who take Jesus seriously and take the Word of God seriously, they brand all those people as fanatics. 
In other words, they take faithful followers who love Jesus and say, they're over the top. And those Christians who come to church and worship God and then go about their lives, they're normal. And they want to be like them and live like them. Thirdly, over time, people like this stop reading the Bible entirely. Stop studying the Bible entirely. And they pray when they're in trouble. And they think nothing of it. I don't know if that stings you. That stings me. That was written in 1942. If Lenski was alive today, I wonder what he would say. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. The branch that abides in the vine always, always produces fruit, singular, not fruits, fruit. So Jesus, what is this fruit? Paul speaks of this fruit in Ephesians 5. Go there with me very quickly. We're about done. Ephesians chapter 5. Go to verse 6 in Ephesians chapter 5. And just listen to some of what Paul says. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For, verse 9, the fruit, singular, of light is found in all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true. What is the fruit? It's what God produces in us so that we seek to honor God by doing what God calls good. We seek to live in a right relationship with God by being righteous people, and we seek to be faithful and true to the truth of God. Turn just over a book or two from Paul to Philippians chapter 1. Paul again uses this Word. Chapter 1 is Paul is praying for the church in Philippi, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit singular of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. Paul also mentions it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, but go with me to chapter 5 of Galatians because 
What Paul says in Galatians 5 is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 15. What is the fruit of abiding in the vine, the fruit that lasts, the fruit that comes from God, the fruit that we can't produce on our own? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The the fruit of the Spirit begins with love for God that is nurtured by the Spirit of God in us that comes from our love for and loyalty to the Word of God. What does that produce? These things I have spoken to you, verse 11, that my joy... That kind of love for God produces joy, real, genuine joy, true joy. Then look at verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Those are the friends of Jesus, those who give ourselves to the obedience of God, abiding in the vine as branches that produce fruit. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. We're not servants in that sense because we know what God is doing in our lives. As he is, God is doing that which is good. God is doing that which is pleasing in his sight. God is doing that which exalts him and honors him and magnifies him. Now listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of of the Spirit is what? Love. Love for God, love for one another. What does that love produce? What's the second thing? Same thing Jesus said. It produces joy. What's the third thing? Peace. Do you know how many professing Christians in our churches have no peace? Filled with anxiety, stress, Despair, love for God, loyalty to God that leads to love for one another as brothers and sisters that produces this genuine joy. I want you to notice how, how Jesus ends here. Because you know what the natural response, I want to tell you what the natural response to everything that I've tried to teach today, I'll tell you what the natural response is. Man, I got to get out of here and work harder. I got to do more. That's how, that's why Jesus ends this section this way. Look at it. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you from before the foundation of the world. I knew you by name before you were born. I called you as mine. I prepared that soil from which the seed sprouted that produced the vine that led to you as a branch. And now the fruit that is being produced is not about you. 
It is not on you. It is not what you do. It is what I'm doing through you by my spirit because I brought you into a right relationship with me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, it may given be given to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You know what the key to any Christian life is? You know what the key to any church is? Making sure our point of focus is getting into our lives more and more of the Word of God, which is the same way of saying getting into our lives more and more of Jesus. You can't ever get enough Jesus in your life. You'll never get to the end of the year, 2021, and look back and say, you know, I wished I'd have spent a whole lot less time reading the Bible this year, attending church this year, being in Bible studies this year, you can't get enough of that. Some years ago, I heard a preacher at the end of his sermon speak these words, I don't want to ever get over them. I want to live by them and toward them. This is what he said, Oh God, Oh Would you so work in my life that there is more of Jesus and less of me until someday there is all of Jesus and none of me? That's worth living by, and that's what's living worth living for, don't you think?